You can be turning in your Bibles to the book of Judges chapter 14. Brother Popwell's getting ready to leave for a little while, going over to Japan. Going to be filling in over there for how long? Just a couple weeks. Okay, you want to be praying for him because he's got about 26 hours of traveling just to get over there. So uh, be praying for him. And then I'm assuming it'll be 26 hours coming back too. somewhere. <laughs> 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 Okie doke. <laughs> well, Judges chapter 14. And Samson went down to Timnath, and he saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I've seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all my people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. I want to talk to you for a little bit tonight about the separation breakdown. Because there are a lot of people who think that this matter of separation that God gives us in the scripture isn't really such a big deal. But the separation breakdown is simply one of those protective areas that God gives us to help us in our Christian walk. It's not something to keep you from something that you want to do that, uh, that you feel is the right thing for you. God always knows best. Now, Samson is an interesting character. You hardly ever hear Samson make a spiritual statement in his entire recorded ministry of life. As a matter of fact, you only find him one time making a statement that it seems that he humbled himself. Even when it came time to die, and there are some who praise him for what he was willing to do, but remember his eyes had already been gouged out. He was a prisoner of the Philistines. And when it came time to die, he's not even ready to make a spiritual statement. Because when he asked the young man to let him fill the pillars of the stadium that he was in where he could bring it down and kill more in his death than he did in his entire lifetime, his statement was basically this as he prayed to the Lord, Lord, avenge me of my two eyes. For Samson, he was one of those young men where it was all about him. And it was all about him except for perhaps the brief 20-year period where he actually served as a judge. It's interesting that he never, like other judges, like Gideon, for instance, he had at least 300 men that followed him, and he had over 30,000 that had been willing to. But you remember God had brought that crowd down. But not not for Samson. Samson served God alone. None of the other Israelites really wanted anything to do with him. And when he was up at Hebron hiding from the Philistines for a while, you find that the people of Dan, his own tribe, were willing to turn him in. You see, Samson never fulfilled what God had for him to fulfill. That doesn't mean that he didn't take out a bunch of Philistines. He did. As a matter of fact, apart from verses 24 and 25 of chapter 13, 
Most all of the story about Samson revolves around three, or his infatuation with three very unholy women. One of those is the woman at Timnath. Another is the harlot of Gaza. And the third, of course, is Delilah. You take those three women out of his life and there's not much to the story of Samson. Three people he never should have had relationships with. They were his ruin. Let me just say, this is good, by the way, every parent, you need to teach this to your children, that wrong relationships always lead to wrong actions. Wrong relationships always lead to wrong actions. Now, we blame Samson for that. But I want to tell you that his parents don't come out of this very good either. Because it seems like although they had the wisdom to disagree with the things that Samson was doing, they did not have, had not taught him the authority that they should have over him to put a stop to it. They let him follow through and do the very things that brought ruin to his life. Now God had warned kings back in Deuteronomy 17, 17, Neither shall he multiply, speaking of kings, neither shall he multiply wives to himself, and his heart, that his heart turn not away, neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. That happened to be the great sin of Solomon. For the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1, Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, people he never should have had anything to do with because they worked, pardon me, they worshiped other gods. In Nehemiah's day, he used Solomon as an example to the people about unholy relationships. In Nehemiah 13, verses 26 and 27, the scripture says, Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him, who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. The Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 11, And verse uh, 9, it says, And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel. You see, wrong relationships lead to wrong actions. A number of other things that it leads to as well. It leads to self-justification of wrong actions. Please understand this. There is no good reason to do wrong. There is no good reason. And you say, well, I just feel. I don't care what you feel. God's word is truth, and truth takes precedence over feeling. And if you don't come to that in your life, you're going to end up getting mixed up in a number of wrong relationships. In Judges chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, the scripture says, The children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, Hittites, and Amorites, and Perizzites, and Hivites, and Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons and served their gods. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam and the groves. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. 
wrong relationships led to God's judgment on his own people. You remember in the book of Numbers, chapter, chapters 24 and 25, Balaam was brought in by Balak, the king of the Moabites, to curse Israel. Well, Balaam wouldn't do that. And as a result of that, Balak wasn't going to make him rich. And although he said, I can't, uh, I can't curse these people that God has blessed, I'll tell you how you can get around that. Send your good-looking girls down into their camp. Their boys will fall in love when they see them, and your girls will be able to marry their boys. And send your handsome young men down there in the camp, and those girls will see them, and they'll be taken with them. And they'll fall in love. They'll eventually go to your gods, and God will have to judge them. So he gave them the way that the curse of God could be brought upon God's own people because they did not appreciate the separation that God has for his people. No wonder the scripture says, be ye not unequally yoked with unbelievers. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17 and 18, he declares, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. Now, I want you to notice some things about this particular story. First of all, the courtship in verses 1 and 2. And Samson went down to Timnath and notice, and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, I've got news for you. The Philistines had some beautiful gals. The Philistines had some beautiful gals. Gals, they weren't all, they may have been ungodly, but they weren't ugly. (laughs) Understand that. They were definitely pleasing to the eye. You know, there's an awful lot of flesh pots and sin places around this country where they have an awful lot of good looking people that lead good people astray. When you live by sight, you are headed for trouble. We don't live by sight. We're supposed to live by faith. And just because somebody looks good, that doesn't mean that our young people ought to be dating them or have anything to do with them, apart from simply witnessing to them, and that would be it. But the determining factor was this. He looked, he saw, and he wanted That was Samson. Samson is living totally in the flesh. Now, you remember that God had announced the birth of Samson to his mom and dad and already told them this young man is to be a Nazarite. That is from birth. He was to be totally separated unto God. There were several things that he was not supposed to do. Yes, he was to be separated for sure, but as a Nazarite, he wasn't to touch any dead thing. He wasn't to have anything to do with the fruit of the vine. None of those things were to be a part of his life, and he was not to have anything friendly to do with the ungodly. And yet we find he wasn't to cut his hair as well, by the way. That was the outward mark of him being a Nazarite. Notice I said a Nazarite, not a Nazarene. He was not a Nazarene. A Nazarite was a man who took a particular vow before God. But he saw and he wanted. That's why protecting the eye gate is so important to life. 
I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Psalm 101 and verse 3. Job 31.1, mine eye affecteth my heart because of all the daughters of my city. You understand, your eye will affect your heart. Keep thy diligence, or keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The second thing he says is let your eyes look right on. When that was written, there was no such thing as TV. There was no such thing as an internet. But I got news for you. What you see, whether it be on the TV or the internet or in the newspaper or magazine, it does affect your heart. It has an impact upon you. That's why you're to be careful what you look at. And parents, it's your responsibility to be sure that your children look at the right things. By the way, later, first he saw her and wanted her. And then in verse 7, and he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. As a matter of fact, in the book of Proverbs, Solomon gives his own son some wisdom about the talk of that woman that he shouldn't have anything to do with. Beauty in itself is not sinful, but outward beauty must never take precedence over the inward beauty. And that inward beauty, even the dress of the ladies, is to be that which reveals the hidden man of the heart. Matter of fact, when you see a Christian young lady or a Christian older lady for that matter, it ought to be obvious by her dress that she looks godly. Now, without giving a a book or a magazine, uh, uh, the old Sears magazines or whatever, uh, pointing out pictures of stuff that may look godly, or not godly, we shouldn't be looking at the ungodly anyway. Isn't that right? But your clothes do say something about you. Your clothes do speak. Believe me, every lawyer understands that. When he goes to court with a client, he makes sure they're dressed right in such a way that the jury does not have a negative feeling about that individual. Your clothes speak. And they ought to say the right things. It gets worse and worse for us as we have our young ladies play volleyball. Uh, We dress our young ladies like young ladies even on the volleyball court. And it's hard to find any church that will see to it that their young ladies are dressed correctly. They think somehow with sports it makes a difference. I remember one pastor talking about driving down the road. He had another preacher with him that disagreed with his standards of modesty among the ladies. And as they were driving down the interstate, there was um, a hippie guy in shorts and every long hair, all of that, and a young lady with a halter top on and short shorts as well. And the pastor that this pastor was riding with said, my, isn't that disgusting? Well, the pastor with all those standards said, well, I know how to make it okay. He said, how's that? He said, just dig a hole behind him and put water in it and suddenly it'll be okay. I mean, it's amazing what we allow that the world does that somehow makes that which is wrong right when it's still wrong. Well, there's a lot more I want to say about that, but I'm going to go on or I'll get stuck here and we'll never finish the message. But the determining factor for him, first of all, was how she looked, and that is the wrong way to pick a mate. That's not the first thing. 
or the most important thing. Not only that, then there was the disobedience. And it's found on two different fronts here. Disobedient for an Israelite. Go back to the book of Exodus chapter 34 and notice beginning in verse 12. Exodus chapter 34 and verse 12. It says, Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. But he shall destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their groves. For thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And they go a-whoring after their gods and do sacrifice to their gods. And one call thee and thou eat of his sacrifices. Our God's a jealous God. You understand that? For every parent here, you have a young lady, have a young man. It's not a matter of just simply dating or marrying someone who says they're saved. It ought to be someone who shows that they're godly. There ought to be evidence of godliness in their life and a walk. I tell you, when I hear somebody say, and I ask them, and they tell me they're, they're seeing somebody that I don't know, uh, my question is, are they saved first of all? And then they'll say something like this. Well, he says he is. Well, that ought to tell you to drop him right now. The only thing you know about his salvation is what he says, and you don't see that followed up with reality. You got no business having anything to do with him. Or with a young lady, either way. I'm telling you now, the young people who are saved in this church ought to be very careful who they're going to see. There are qualifications that are above the matter of looks. What he did was disobedient for an Israelite. And Paul makes it plain in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 39 that marrying is to be done only in the Lord. Only in the Lord. Not outside of that at all. Not only was it disobedient for an Israelite, it was disobedient for a Nazarite. A Nazarite was to separate themselves unto the Lord, Numbers chapter 6 and verse 2. The whole idea of being a Nazarite was to give more of one's life to the service of God. In pursuing the Philistine woman like he was, Samson was not separating but mixing with the unclean and the unholy, and that was wrong. When Nehemiah talks to the people later on, people who were marrying the ungodly that were in the land, he has to rebuke them about that. Ezra had to do that in his day as well. Too many have been careless in this matter. God's command is clear and would greatly hinder and limit and eventually and his ministry because of the relationships he got involved with that were not right. Not only that, what he did was disrespectful. This courtship was disobedient. The determining factor was sight, and it was disrespectful. You say, how do you say that? I say that because he obviously disrespected his parents. He disrespected his parents and his parents' faith. Not only in asking them to get her for him, you notice that is said twice, get her for me. She pleaseth me well. 
but he paid no attention to their wise protest. Now, I will give his parents this. At least they did speak up. At least they did speak up. And he showed absolutely no respect for their word at all. He showed that it was all about him, the faith of his parents, the promises that God had given to his parents and all of that for the birth of this young man. He treated them as nothing. In verse 3, then his father and his mother said unto him, is there never, now notice this, is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all my people? Now, notice the daughters of your brethren. In other words, surely in the tribe of Dan, of which Samson was a member of, surely there was someone in that tribe that was pretty. His first qualification, though, didn't have anything to do with being spiritual. It seemed like his qualification was not just that she was pretty, but she had to be of somebody who worshipped another god. And he says, or of my people, surely out of all of Israel, there were some beautiful gals there too. But it's like he had a bent. He was not going to choose somebody that would be God's choice. It's like any choice, but God's choice. It's kind of like this whole issue with the King James Bible. These guys out there that are pushing all these other versions... It's they don't mind what version you choose just as long as you don't choose the King James. Now that tells you volumes right there. You can use any version you want and they'll tell you that whatever version you choose isn't a full Bible. That there'll be places that you've got to go to another version to find if you want to know exactly what it says. But it doesn't matter. Just pick any version you want. Just don't pick the King James, because it is the truth. It is authoritative. This whole version thing that's going on, these multiple versions, translations of the Bible is all about not wanting to accept an authoritative word from the God of heaven. That's what it's about. Man doesn't want God to rule over him. And Samson did not want God's rule nor his parents' rule. He's very disrespectful. He's not asking counsel about who to marry. He is issuing commands for his parents to go against how they raised him. I'm sorry, I'm not buying that mess. One of my daughters would have been there I would have, and done something like that. I would have said, absolutely not. And you're not going to find us there to give an okay to it. You understand, I I believe my God is real. I believe he calls for separation. And I believe that my God is so real to me that he is someone that I ought to be teaching my children to obey and to follow because God is always right. In Samson's day, a young man did not go to the girl. He would ask his parents to speak with the girl's parents and the request would usually include a dowry For the girl's parents, it is amazing the pressure that young people will put on their parents for an unholy marriage. 
We're talking about separation breakdown here. Samson's story is a very sad story. And it's a sad story because it is built on the breakdown of separation. Not taking God's word seriously. That it's all about what I want instead of what is God's will. Not only that, we see, I look at this courtship, then there's the complaint. Notice again in verse 3. Then his father and mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren, or among all my people, that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And since Samson said unto his father, Get her for me. Here's his reasoning. She pleaseth me well. How does that work out for him, by the way? Let me go on. Then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyards of Timnath. And behold, a young lion roared against him. Do you think maybe God was trying to put some kind of a sign up there before him? Son, you're headed the wrong way. But he's not in the business of paying attention. He's going to do what he wants to do. This is a strong-willed young man who has not put God first. He's not put God's word first or God's will. Now, we see a wise protest on the part of the parents. Wise because it supported the position of God's law. It is always right to take the position of God's word. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. God's word, it's always right about everything that it says anything about. I know as a pastor, I feel if I can just get God's people committed to God's truth, it'll be all right. Committed, first of all, to God's truth. Listen, most of the messes that take place in relationships, especially in the marriage relationship or in the uh, parent-child relationship, it's because somebody has decided they're going to do what they feel instead of doing what God says. Over and over again, it's like that. They give a wise protest. When he talks about thy brethren, that's the tribe of Dan. Among all thy people, that'd be the Israelites. Protest to disobey God are always wrong. Don't you believe that God can provide the mate for anyone? I believe he can. But you don't understand, preacher. People are getting married today for the first time when they're 18, 17 years old. You know, as I said, for the first time, because usually that's going to result in another marriage a little bit later on. And what happened to that one person that was their soulmate? What made that one person stop being their soulmate? Doesn't please me well anymore. I mean, it's not going to be long and he's going to be calling his wife in this passage. He's going to be calling his wife a heifer. He married a cow. Doesn't think so highly of her anymore, does he? I got news for you, man. All over this country, there are divorces that have taken place that that person they were so in love with when they stood at the altar, now they've got no good words to say about him. You know why? Married out of God's will. They didn't check with God first and see what God said. All they knew was... He pleased me well, or she pleased me well. But marriage has got to be deeper than that. It's not based on the right thing. 
And that's the walk with God. Note the strong language that they used. They said this uncircumcised. Uncircumcised was a term of reproach and contempt. The parents, at least, they understood that. They were willing to call sin by its proper name. The world does not like their sin to be called what it is. Now, I try to be kind. Don't laugh at that. I do try to be kind. I try to be kind, but it's amazing to me. You'll run in on visitation. You'll run into numbers of people. Matter of fact, when I get my hair cut, uh, you heard people talk about living with their boyfriend, and they've got two or three children. Do you know what the Bible calls those children? And it's not the children's fault. But do you know how the Bible refers to them? You know what word the Bible uses for illegitimate? Just read Hebrews chapter 12. I got news for you. It's tempting to speak up and say, man, you're talking awful, awful well about a, but I don't do it because I'm either too kind or too cowardly. You don't have any love. I have love for God. Jesus had a love for God and a love for the people to tell them the truth, even when they got offended at the truth. We're so afraid we're going to be unkind. So they live in open sin. The Bible says we are to reprove the works of darkness. That's up to us to do the reproving. But then notice the weak protest that's here. They protested in word, but not in deed. For the next verse says that they went down to Timnath. What are they doing going down there with him to Timnath? Why are they there? They're going to help them get married. They know it's wrong. They've already proven they know it's wrong. But this is their only boy. And they're going to take part in this because it's their only boy. It sounds a lot like Eli and Hophni and Phinehas. You remember Eli was the high priest. And he had two wicked sons, Hophni and Phinehas. They committed wickedness down at, the, down at the tabernacle when the people came in. They committed terrible sin. But in the story that you read about Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, not only did they partake illegally against the law of God of the sacrifices, instead of giving God the best of the meat uh, of the sacrifices, they took it themselves. But then we read that Eli took of it as well. They brought him this meat that didn't belong to him, and he ate. Of course, God got even with Eli. When the ark of God was taken, he fell over backwards and broke his neck. But the Bible says the reason he broke his neck is because he is heavy. I remember hearing Joe Boyd several years ago talk about that. He was, <laughs> when God says you're heavy, you're heavy, and Joe Boyd said when he fell over backwards, 300 pounds of fat meat hit him in the face and broke his neck. Well, I don't know if it's 300 pounds of fat meat, but I'll tell you what, his disobedience to God proved his downfall. He would not. He should have taken his boys out of the ministry. He didn't do it. He left them there. They had no business being left there, which is why God pronounced a judgment on Eli's house. Hmm. 
Now, Samson may have fumed and fussed, but they didn't have to do what he said. When parents put their children, boy, this is too straight. If you're steaming right now at me, get mad all you want. I don't care. It doesn't change. What I'm saying is the truth. I believe this from the word of God. When parents put their children above God, they make a very grave mistake. And that's what Samson's parents have done in this story. So you've got the courtship, the complaint, and finally the confusion. Verses 4 and 5. But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord, that he sought an occasion against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Now what on earth was taking place? God was going to use this unscriptural marriage. Some misread this. They want to read it to mean Samson's main reason for wanting to marry the Philistine girl Timnath was to create an opportunity so that he could bring do damage to the Philistines. But that wasn't, that wasn't Samson's thought at all. Here's a young man that God had chosen even before birth that he was to be a Nazarite separated unto God. But one of the things you understand about Samson is you read through the story in chapter 14, again in chapter 15, and again in chapter 16. He was not going to do God's will. He was going to break everything, every rule that God had for a Nazarite, he broke it. So what does God do? All right, you're not going to obey. Here's a young man that could have been the source of great victory and gotten Israel free of any influence of the Philistines. He, he could have done that. That was God's will. But instead, he's never going to fully get Israel free. He's going to end up having his eyes gouged out. He's going to be a servant for the Philistines for a good amount of time. Uh, while he's going to have, with his eyes gouged out, be blinding, like, uh, be uh, uh, working like a donkey at the mills of the enemies of God. And when it's all done, even with his final victory, he's not going to get to enjoy it. He'll be dead in disgrace. Could have turned out a whole lot better if he had just decided he was going to obey God. You see, God's plan in this situation was to overrule disobedience and to use it to bring judgment upon the Philistines. I want you to get this. Young people, you got a choice to make. You can either go ahead and obey God and find the blessings of God and being right with God, or you can go ahead and be rebellious and God's going to get his will done whether he uses you or not. He's still going to get it done, but you're not going to be the one that's going to get the blessing and the joy out of what he does. That's what happened to Samson. Are you going to put God's will first? Are you going to do your own thing? You say, well, I know what I feel. I know what I want. Well, people always know what they want. Have you figured out yet what God wants? Because really, that's the secret to the victorious Christian walk is doing his will first. That was Jesus' idea. He said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And then later, even in the garden, when he was facing crucifixion the next day, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. The Lord Jesus was committed to the will of God. 
Thomas Kirk wrote this, the marriage was of God as was the conquest of Nebuchadnezzar or the treachery of Judas inasmuch as God permitted it and overruled it by bringing Samson into, into collision with the Philistines. I mean, this girl's end up going to be killed. She's going to be burned to death. That's what's going to take place. Now, obviously, she'd have been better off not to know this Christian young man. This doesn't work out good for her at all. She may have got what she wanted, but she didn't even know God. There's a sense in which she has somewhat of an excuse being ignorant of God. And I would think that if he really cared for her, he'd have brought this gal to the Savior, and he didn't do that. She was a Philistine when she met him, and she was a Philistine when she died. He did her no good at all. Psalm 76 and verse 10, Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. The remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. Understand the fact that God uses evil to accomplish good things does in no way indicate that God is justifying the evil, nor is he encouraging the evil. But to the contrary, God punishes evil regardless of how he may use it. God's going to get glory, and God's going to have his will no matter what. Nobody's going to beat God. The Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. An example, though the Philistines' evil was used by God to bring needed chastisement upon the Israelites and oppressing them, yet God will judge the Philistines for oppressing the Israelites. F.B. Meyer said God overruled the result, though he did not relieve Samson of the blame. Many Christians today try to justify wrong actions because some good came out of it. But think how much more good would have come out of it had they obeyed God to begin with. Too many today are willing to approve unholy behavior because a good result came. For instance, marrying an unsaved person only for that unsaved person to later get born again. Oh, well, that makes it all right. No, it didn't make it all right, not at all. How much better if they'd have gotten saved first, and then the relationship could have been to the glory of God. Churches who disobey God to get a crowd, and a number actually get born again. Think how much more the church could have accomplished if the church would have stayed obedient to God. Some good result doesn't make evil okay. Evil is still evil. Samuel Rideout said it well. God's purposes will be accomplished in spite of my disobedience. But I can never use his purpose to endorse my disobedience. Samson will pay for his disobedience. His wife will betray him. His wife will die. He will continue on the road to his own destruction. Turn over to the book of Nehemiah a moment. Nehemiah chapter 9. I was reading this yesterday, as a matter of fact, in my daily Bible reading. And and it's in Ezra chapter... Did I say Nehemiah? I thought that's what I heard come out my ears. That's not what I wanted. I wanted Ezra chapter 9. All right. Ezra chapter 9. And in Ezra chapter 9... In verse 14, and madest known unto them thy holy Sabbath, and commandest them precepts, statutes, and laws, 
by the hand of Moses, thy servant, and gavest them bread from heaven for their hunger, and broughtest forth water uh, for them out of the rock for their thirst, and promised them that they should go in to possess it, the land which thou hast sworn to give them. But they and our fathers dealt proudly, and hardened their necks, and hearkened not to thy commandments, and refused to obey, neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them, but hardened their necks, and in their rebellion appointed a captain to return to their bondage. But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger of great kindness, and forsookest them not. You go on down... uh, well, let's see, I, I don't know the other verse that I was going to put down on that. The problem, oh, that was reading in Nehemiah. Good night. Okay. I'll go back to Ezra. Whew. Ezra is put out. I'm getting put out with myself. (laughs) These people have done the very thing that got them carried off into captivity. They've married the ungodly. And the scripture says in verse 14, here he is getting after the folks. He says, should we again break thy commandments and join in affinity with the people of these abominations? Wouldst thou not be angry with us till thou hast consumed us so that there should be no remnant nor escaping? O Lord God of Israel, thou art righteous, for we remain yet escape as it is this day. Behold, we are before thee in our trespasses, for we cannot stand before thee because of this. You know one of the things you learn about this? We are so stupid, we don't learn. It's not just Israel that's that way. We always want to run down Israel for these really stupid things that they did. But I see it over and over again in Christians. They do the very same things that God judged his people about in the past, thinking somehow... God's not going to do it today. The book of Amos, the scripture says, can two walk together except they be agreed. Well, we agree that we each both look good. No, it's got to go deeper than that. Do you understand the very first requirement before there is any kind of relationship whatsoever? The very first requirement is to agree spiritually. Then the courtship, once you agree spiritually, then the courtship is to see if you agree emotionally. Then you have the I do and the physical takes place and that's normally not the problem. But what the world has done, they've absolutely reversed it. Physical comes first, then you date to see if you can get along and that really isn't such a big deal for people anymore. And then, after the marriage, then they start worrying about whether or not spiritually we're together. That ought to be the first thing. Not the last thing. And it's up to the parents 
to teach their children that. There are too many Christian parents who are just appalled, worried, concerned if their daughter at 15 doesn't have a boyfriend. What's wrong with you? Did your brain fall out your ear during the night? Rolled off underneath the bed? The world, you see, you're letting Hollywood teach you, teach you how to date. Teach your children how to date. That's the problem. Hollywood's got it all backwards. They don't have it right. Most of them have been married five, six, seven, eight, nine times. And they just came, and that doesn't count the ones they just lived with that they never married, much like the woman at the well. Before her salvation. See, what, here's what we want. We want our children to be our buddies. And they don't need a buddy out of their parents. They need a parent out of their parents. It's why God gave them parents. And you're to be there for wisdom and for help. You definitely don't encourage them in their rebellion. And you're there to remind them. Make sure that, man, complete the job. Don't end it halfway. So we end up with grandchildren being raised up in homes where they've got an ungodly dad or an ungodly mom who don't want anything to do with God. And that makes them eventually simply bus kids where somebody else has got to take them to church because mom and dad won't do it. Now what I've given you here is good stuff. How did all this get going? The separation breakdown. Didn't take the separation seriously and unfortunately, even though mom and dad knew better, they still went along with Samson. They're part of the problem. He is the problem, but they are part of the problem in that they did not take a stand. They knew the stand to take. That's very plain. But they didn't take the stand. It's too important that my kid love me. I think you take the right stand, I mean, and stand upon it. They'll love you down their life when they get the right one. By the way, young people, you don't, uh, girls, you don't need a boy when you're 15 or 16 or 17. You need the right one in God's timing. That's what you need. And for every couple, it's going to be different. God knows what he wants in your life. Be surrendered to God's will for the right one. The right one. Boys, same way with girls. You don't need 10 girls, 20 girls. You need the right one. Notice I said the right, how many? One! That's enough. Till death do you part. The right one. When my wife and I were courting, it wasn't called courting back then, it was called dating. We were both lost. We didn't know any better about anything. We were lost. And I've got to say the fact that we have had each other now for 55 years of marriage is just simply the grace of Almighty God. We never sought the Lord. We didn't know God's will, God's wisdom. We're concerned about it. We didn't know God, period. And yet here we've made it 55 years. 
And you've got a lot of Christian young people coming from Christian homes who should know better, who can't pick a mate that's right because they've already decided God's way and God's wisdom is not what they're going to go by. It is a separation breakdown with disastrous impacts. This will help you tonight. This can help you tonight. Listen to the word of God. Look at the examples. He tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that these things were given for us today. This story is for us today so that we not make the same mistakes that were made back then. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Help us to understand some things about separation. We see the failure of a person when God had given very clear guidelines for Samson and he didn't take any of them serious and the cost was phenomenally great. May we learn today. May we have lives surrendered to the will of God and may we have parents that even when these young people have become adults willing to continue to say God's will is right. You need to do God's will. Deal with our hearts tonight, I pray in Jesus' name.